0: Welcome to the Off-Duty, On-Duty podcast. This will be episode number 97. We're rapidly approaching 100. Approaching 100. Woo! I'm your host, Brian. Welcome to the podcast. Part of the ConcealedCarry.com network. Along with uh, Firearms Trainers podcast and uh, the Concealed Carry podcast with Riley Bowman. The Off-Duty, On-Duty podcast, we take topics relevant to today's gun owners, and we tackle them from the perspective of law enforcement officers and concealed carriers to give you both angles of discussion. Today, I'm joined by Eric G. It's been a while since he's been on, and we are going to talk about Red Dots, but specifically we are going to talk practical red dot application. And I'm not talking about how many, how fast, uh, all that jazz. Eric is uh, an authority on all things operational red dot versus uh, the competition aspect. But today's episode is brought to you by Barrel Block at blocksafety.com. Check them out. They are a dry practice tool which renders your firearm inert essentially allowing you to practice with a live firearm uh, with the chamber and the barrel blocked as is implied by the name. Uh, also recently I went on a trip and I used the barrel block just as another layer of safety for TSA. So when I had it in my locked box in accordance with TSA compliance, slid the barrel block in that way, if I have to check it out or a TSA agent, or somebody calls me to inspect the gun, we don't have to worry about live ammunition getting in there. So check them out at block safety. Also EDC belt company, uh, back again for the 97th time, um, (laughs) <laughs> the most functional, comfortable, concealed carry belt on the market today. Uh, check them out at Uh And let's go ahead and bring in our guest. Welcome back, Eric, for another Thanks episode. Thanks for having me on. <laughs> Post- nice
1: to be on hand. Go well, ahead.
0: Oh, I was going to say another post-shot show episode um, <sighs> of, what did you call it?
1: Hanny's, hanny's podcast there's that <laughs>
0: the joke that will not die you would not believe the number of people at shot show that came up to me and cracked that joke and hanny was standing right next to me half the time and i'm like yeah have you met hanny here he is uh, yeah that was a that was a good one but uh we had quite the quite the good time there at at shot and uh Unfortunately, you weren't able to join us for the the, uh, dinner with Ed Morales, but uh, hopefully he will become a regular guest of uh, DSM Safety and, and some other guys out there, so did get his book, and I did get a book signed, so that was kind of cool. Got a,
1: signed, got a signed copy. I think it's my third. Oh. <laughs> um, I, I, I lost, like, one on an airplane flight where I forgot to pull it out of the seat back cover. Got a second one, and then got this one signed autographed by him to me. So, yeah, I can't complain.
0: Yeah, so we'll, complain. I'll throw a shout-out to Mike from DSM for getting, uh, getting Ed to come out to SHOT Show. And Ed's son, Jonathan, and wife were there, and they were all very gracious people, and I really had a great time hanging out with them. Uh, did a little video on the off duty on duty podcast. If you go to a, the comments, there is a video that I did with Mike and Ed at the uh, booth. So check that out. But uh, well,
1: speaking of that, you and Mike are fifty percent of the first American cop ten four from the floor oh, wow. shot show videos. Yeah, well, the first one apparently didn't sound real good. But it,
0: yeah, we we had some else. audio issues. But you know, if you are going to run a crash test dummy, I might as well be your guy. So.
1: Yeah, you know, and you, it's not like you're a retired lieutenant colonel or the the range master from <laughs> a very large, well, not a very large, but a large Southern California police department with lots of rich people living in it.
0: Yeah, there those was, were the other two guests. Yeah, I saw those, and uh, I was uh, I was like, man, I guess they got the audio straightened out. So, but hey, it was a fun time nonetheless, and I I got to you know. Got to hang out with Brent Wheat and some of the other FMG people and I've really had a good time. So so thanks for arranging that. And then uh you and I I shot a video of you on the floor. I think that one yep. turned up and
1: uh did, did that get posted somewhere? I think
0: it did. I think it got posted on FMG's uh social media, but
1: Oh, because I didn't share that with anybody unless you did.
0: I don't remember. Maybe I posted it up. I, I can't remember, but it, it was uh, right after Safari Lands press briefing. And we just, yes. uh, you, you yes. let me, I was your crash test dummy. You were yes. mine. So
1: it, it worked out. That's,
0: that's what friends. As I slammed
1: my hand up against my face trying to wonder what I had just witnessed.
0: <laughs> well, that's a whole nother podcast. Uh,
1: yes, it is.
0: But. But either way, we, I, I wanted to bring you back on. There is the uh, the rise of the red dot shows no signs of slowing down. Uh, it's to the point now that, much to people's surprise, I actually have two guns with red dots on them. that are not rifles, two. Two whole guns, yeah. G48. You and Lee
1: Weems, my God. You and Lee Weems might actually come into the 21st century and do something with red dots. If I, only you had more experience with them,
0: both I, of you. I know, and more training. I, I got to tell you. My experience with them thus far has been very positive. I got one mounted on a Staccato P and uh, one mounted on a G48, and it's both sides of the spectrum. I got mm-hmm. a disposable Glock with a Holosun, and I've got a, you know, cream of the crop 2011 with an Acro P2. And that kind of, to me, covers all the bases in between. I mean, there's that's like, uh, you know, both uh, that's like the... Like Honda and, uh, what do you, what's their other company, Lexus or whatever? That's, that's kind of both. So, uh, and surprisingly, I've had very, very few learning curve issues with the gun because I shoot target focused with irons. And that has, that's a whole nother podcast about, uh, that discipline. And it's just been years of like, yeah. practicing what I need to see. And honestly, I didn't find there to be that big of a learning curve, except on the operational implementation. And what I mean by that is not just, can I go out and poke holes in paper right. and do it expeditiously? Uh, that really didn't change a whole lot. So, no. uh, so we're, we we kind of title this one, the three oper- considerations for op- operational use three. Yeah. And you rattled them off so fast, I
1: was like, "We're gonna have to, we're gonna have to back the bus up a little bit." <laughs> hey, we, we we were talking. Um, I think somebody put an article out said there were 21 new optics. One power optics released at shot this year. Most of them for pistols. Mm-hmm. I, I did not see all of them. Uh, I saw Hollow Suns. I saw CNH Precision's stuff. Um, I've been working with a Prodigy that has Springfield's dot sight on it.
0: Or oh, the fox or whatever yeah.
1: the hex the hex, hex. which kind of looks like a half of a stop sign mm-hmm. bolted onto the gun. Um, and I'd like to spend some time talking to some of the optics engineers about why they're churning out what they're churning out because in some cases when I start asking the sales folks or the manufa- or the, the media folks they, they have no idea what decisions led to the design parameters. For some of this stuff, Um, when we're looking at getting optics on guns out into the field for cops, they've got to be something that a decent, normal human being, be it it a cop, right? Or, you know, the guy who's working for pick a business, you know, Monday through Friday, nine to five, eight to five that they can work on themselves and they can, they can maintain that they don't necessarily need torque wrenches and three different kinds of lock tight and Torx heads and stuff like that, that they can assemble it with what comes in the box. They can maintain it and keep it running. I'm still seeing companies putting out bottom mount batteries where you've got to pull the optic off the gun to change the battery and then go through the full mounting process again. And if the gun came from the manufacturer with the optic mounted the folks may not know what the pro- the best process to get it back onto the gun is and how to keep it there. Um, battery shutoff features that are significantly shorter than patrol shifts right is an issue. Um, I want you know in this day and age with the law enforcement staffing shortage, a lot of your patrol shifts are now 12 hours. If that thing's not going to go at least 13 hours, then it's too short for a cops. I've looked at one recently. It's got an eight hour battery life on it or eight hour runtime on it. And it doesn't have a shake awake feature. Oh, wow. So even if I turn it on at the start of my shift, like right when I walk into briefing, my old org went from 10 hour shifts to 12 and a half hour shifts because of the staffing issues. So now I'm having to make sure that at somewhere about the seven and a half, six, seven and a half hour mark. I'm drawing that thing out of my holster and just to turn, just to turn the optic back on again. And if you're in a place where you've got a sensor on the holster, every time you draw the gun, you got to explain why you drew it to somebody. Oh, I had to draw it to make sure the battery worked or the battery was on. Right. So that that stuff's not going to go over well, long-term it's not going to make it easy for those optics to get sold, at least not to cops.
0: Well, and, in the in the words of tom Givens, sometimes you know people just fiddle f with their gun which is which is negative it's not a good yes. thing uh you either you're either dry practicing or it's loaded and in the holster one or the yes. other pick one uh ser- service and maintenance should be a pretty small window of time uh to me yes. that's just that's that's 24 years of carrying a gun professionally like i should only have to service it when i need to service it maintain it, et cetera. Uh, To me, the most dummy proof setup I've seen that ships with a really good setup is uh, the Aimpoint Acro P2. Mm -hmm. And I'm not paid by Aimpoint, nor have I ever been, but uh, I was talking to our mutual friend that works for them and, and uh, their tool, when you mount the optic, their tool flexes when you hit the proper torque spec on the uh, side screw. And I went, Oh, that's brilliant. And if I need to change the battery, same tool has a little battery compartment. Uh essentially a screw head or a screwdriver head on it, right? Yep. Uh to me that was the most user level friendly and, and I've I've owned a bunch of red dots over the years. I have broken them all, people, all of them. Uh it doesn't matter what the manufacturer is. I have probably had one and or broken it. Um and what I see is like you said a lot of them come out of the box, and I need to be pretty good with Lincoln Logs and uh, Loctite to really mount that. And yeah. having been a custom gun builder for a number of years, it was not a big huge learning curve. But I see your point on it needs to be where Joe Sixpack or you know Joe Baseball Game can mount that and be confident with it, and not have to do a whole lot of extra stuff.
1: Right? Yeah. Regardless of what anybody's saying about Sig or their optics. Just that I'm talking because of the lawsuits, not anything else. Sig, SIG kind of cracked the code with the end user market in mm-hmm. selling you a gun with an optic and the optics already on it when it comes from the factory. Yeah. You know, another company that I'm doing a review on their gun right now for an article, they shipped me the gun with the optic on the slide already. Okay. But that, that one requires a little bit more work from the end user than you know some of the other options out there like Holosun like the Trichicon SRO, right? Like the aim point where I, I have to go in and do a bunch more work with that optic just to change out batteries and stuff like that. So that's a problem. That's what we're going to fix. And I don't think that was one of the first three things we talked about. It might've been.
0: No, but, and I'll throw uh, a, lot of people are asking about direct mounts for Glock right now. And just cause I, I know a little I have a little insight on that. What I can tell you is uh, their direct mount guns on their, agency are they're on their agency only skew right now. So give it time. Uh, but they're shipping the guns with an optic already mounted and you pick the gun and the optic and they, ship it to an agency currently but they are so inundated with agency orders they haven't opened that up to john q public just yet
1: the, the one exception to that is the guns the new gunsight glock service pistol or the new exactly. glock gun sight service pistol depending on how we're phrasing it um with a hollow sun on and i just got the email this morning letting me know mine was mine was in and i need to send them money <laughs> uh smith and wesson's doing the same thing They've got SKUs for slides that are direct milled, and I think they're doing the RMR and the Acro mm-hmm. on theirs. Uh, the Steiner MPS has got a footprint remarkably similar, and the folks down at Apex Tactical came out with a solution for that two, three, four percent of MPS aim point mounts that are having problems getting together. Where well, they've got a little twenty dollar bracket that will fix that problem because of how it cams in. Yeah, and I'm going to pick up couple of those for my MPSs, not because at this point I need them, but just cause I want to make, I want to see how that thing works mm-hmm. and get some time behind it. So I can have an opinion on it.
0: Yeah. The, uh, gun service pistol. That was another new shot show, uh, release. And I actually got to see that a few months before it was official and was sworn to secrecy by the powers that be. <laughs> uh, however, uh, Really cool concept, and I'm curious to see what other optics will mount on that. Not because I'm a Holosun hater per se, but uh, just for the flexibility of setting it up how I want it. And sometimes
1: until we see somebody else running off the Holosun footprint, hmm. th- at this point, it doesn't seem like it's going to be an option because neither the Akron nor the MPS will go on the Holosun footprint. They're they're, they're different enough, so unless one of the other optics has recently been released or is coming down the road goes the, goes the five Oh nine T footprint route. We're, we're not going to have another option. Um, I pretty sure I know what the CNH precision footprints are for the optics that they released, but I, I, I won't swear to it yet. So, cause I haven't seen one. Um, it would have been interesting if they decided to take their closed emitter optic and put that on a hollow footprint.
0: Yeah. I didn't get, a chance to go by their booth and, and see what they were uh, doing. I was indisposed yeah. with other taskings at the time, but... Uh, yeah,
1: they've got, they've got three. They've got an enclosed emitter that looks kind of sort of like an acro, oddly enough. They've got a regular-sized open emitter optic, and then they've got a concealed carry size, kind of akin to the RMRCC or the Sun uh, 507K.
0: Yeah, I've got a 407K that I'm running currently and putting through the paces. And I got to say, for the price point, I'm pretty impressed with it uh, for the gun that it's on. And it's on a G48. So, which to me is kind of not one of the guns I want to go get in a fight with. But uh, as I, as I approach normal earth people land, um, I don't see it as a real problem. So,
1: uh,
0: and that's some, go ahead.
1: No, I was going to say the magazine capacity on it, it's it's fine. You know, It's better if you throw that 15-round shield magazine into it, but uh, I'm carrying a four inch shield as my normal not-working gun these days. You know, and I back that up with a eight-round mag that's got a two-round extension on it if I have to reload. And, uh, I'm not feeling horribly underarmed with that.
0: Well, between that and uh, your adopted brother, daryl and i doing a couple of security gigs where 10 round magazines are a thing that's one of the considerations i've never had to make until recently and i gotta tell you with the g48 and hollow i don't feel bad i don't feel like i'm i'm underwhelmed and i always back that up with an ankle rig anyway so if the ninjas attack we're, we've got a little bit of time so, uh, and I'm wearing those in a Bullman shoulder rig now, which is, uh, gosh, shout out to Josh Bullman. Uh, he's back making a kydex version of his leather holster. And his leather holsters, people say, Oh, they were expensive. And I'm like, Well, compare them to anything else out there, and they're not that expensive. But the kydex rig he's selling, is priced under what most of your major manufacturers are cranking out and they're not as good. So, yeah, I had to I had to throw Josh some love there, but we should we should maybe get on the topic of what we yeah, were going to we talk about. What we were going to talk about. Yeah. So, I asked you for three considerations for operational use of a red dot and you rattled off three and I'll give them real quick. One was learn to use them in low light. Two was learn how to use them in adverse weather. And three was learn how to use them when they're not working. Right. So let's start start with number one, low light, which is kind of your jam.
1: Yeah. So um, let's see, just a quick shout out on that. The Guardian Conference is going to have me doing a low light and a dot, little dot blocks this year, which will probably be like what happens when the dot doesn't work and how to use the dot in low light. So there is that. How do you set it up brightness wise, everything else, right? You're not one of the hard things to get across to folks is that you're not going to fixate on the dot. You're not using the dot like it's a front sight in the old iron sighted day. So it doesn't have to be the brightest thing on the planet. It doesn't have to be perfectly crystal clear. I see, I've i got astigmatisms. I see guys with astigmatisms worrying about the shape of the dot. The the dot's a reference. When it appears where you're looking at, you're going to go to work. So how do you set that up for low light? I take the optic, I take whatever it is, handheld light, weapon light with a fully charged battery into a room with light colored walls. And I'll stand on one side of the room or if it's a huge room, maybe 15, 20 feet off the wall. And I'll take a sight picture on one of those light colored walls and I'll turn on my weapon light or I'll turn on my handheld light. And as long as I can see the dot over the weapon mounted light or the handheld light in that setting, that thing's bright enough for me.
0: And right. it works daytime, nighttime at that point.
1: Yeah. The, the one exception to that is when I'm in Arizona in the summertime and then just the reality of the glare in the sun at 5,000 feet in the desert or the high desert, yeah, I usually have to bump that up to kind of blown out dot status and then turn it down when we get done at the end of the day. But that's the one exception to it, that working it off a light colored wall with a weapon light or a handheld light is all, I need, is all I've needed to do to set stuff up.
0: Excellent. I experimented really early on with some dots that had a photocell sensor in the front for brightness. And one mm-hmm. of the first things I realized was you walk into a whitewashed room, and I, I call that, you know, your standard construction grade eggshell white house yep. on the interior. And I have my bright my brightness set for outdoors, and I walk in, turn a weapon light on or a handheld, and there is no dot because it thinks it it was counterintuitive the way that thing was programmed. So uh, that one went away. But with the Aimpoint Acro P2, Mm -hmm. I run the dot to where when I turn turn all the lights out on my whitewashed room. If I'm looking at it, it looks like starburst. There's a lot of surround in the window, but that covers me for indoors and outdoors.
1: So the problem with those auto sensors is they didn't take into consideration the differences. So like you talked about it, walking walking into a very bright room where it's blowing everything out. You could be in the dark dealing with a problem in the light. Or one that I see a lot that I'll set up in my LE low light classes is you're outside like you're in a parking lot, sidewalk, somebody's front yard, and you're looking into a dark hole on the other side of that front door or that warehouse door or that roll-up door, right? And so now you've got an optic that's being… You're pointing it into the shadows, but it's going off of the light it's getting, or vice versa. So, they, to me, they never seemed to actually work in the conditions I needed them to work in. They always wanted to work somewhere else. So, not a fan of those. Um, saw this in a picture of a class recently. If you're working the surefire jaw technique where you're holding the light like an ice pick, so like you come down from a Harry's and you're lining it up against your jaw, which is a pretty decent shooting position, the problem with the pistol-mounted optics is that shining right through the back of the gun and illuminating the the optic, the glass, not necessarily as much downrange. So just something simple as coming up to where the side pieces of your glasses are and i'd say temple index but i know there's a segment of the error net that will melt down and scream if i say temple index so all i'm doing is moving the light up to the eyepiece on my glasses
0: <laughs> what what i found and i i don't say the word temple index i say ear pro index like on the top edge of my ear pro okay. works great um that way it doesn't offend the temple index crowd and it doesn't offend the uh uh, the FBI technique crowd, I go, well, I just yeah. index it off the top of my ear pro. Yeah. And that seems to work really well. It keeps the main beam of the, the light out of the, uh, out of the optic yeah.
1: window, just throws it kind of over the top of it. So, and that's a shooting position. Anyway, that's a, now I found you from the FBI technique, right? Or I've figured out for sure you're a problem and I'm locking it up because I'm going to end up having to shoot one handed at that point.
0: Right. Which is, uh, running the dot has forced me more to shoot one-handed than I ever did before. Uh, and I'll throw a shout to Justin Dial, who in his class, he said, if it's worth doing with two hands, it's worth doing strong hand only. And I completely agree with that. I just yep. had been lackadaisical in the training yep. area with it. So uh, especially trying to run a dot and a pistol mounted op or a, pistol-mounted white light or something like that need to get schooled up on shooting with
1: your strong hand only. Yeah, because you're going to do a lot more work with that handheld light if you're doing it right and you're considering rule two issues about not running muzzles across things that you people you can't shoot, things you can't shoot. So, Which
0: one of the things the red running a pistol-mounted optic has taught me is uh, just how really... I don't want to say useless, but how limited the uses for a pistol mounted white light are. And that being said, uh I inflamed the internet with that one a few months ago saying, yeah, pistol mounted lights are pretty useless in the grand scheme of things, but they are handy if you are doing some type of dynamic search or entry. They can I, be I, They can have I a think place
1: for home defense. I think they absolutely have a place as long as there is a legit flashlight next to it that gets picked up first. Mm-hmm. Do they still have a place in law enforcement? Absolutely. Right. Cause there's going to be those times where one hand's tied up. I'm moving somebody, I'm pushing, I'm pulling, I'm opening a door, I'm closing a door, I'm doing whatever. And one hand's tied up to that. It can't work the light. And as long as my other hand can keep the trigger finger up on the frame slide interface while it manipulates the light, I'm okay with that right and there's going to be that time where you get down to where this is either a shooting problem or we're going to get compliance the the decisions made we're we're, we're past the don't shoot shoot judgment process we're into am i going to have to shoot part of the process right that's where they're fine because now we can get both hands on the gun to control it and deal with that but as a general purpose i'm going to go clear houses i'm not going to say i wasn't guilty of it but not so much anymore
0: now yeah, I'm I'm in the same boat. I scaled down to the, the uh Streamlight TLR seven A with the rocker switches as opposed to the push button switches. Mm-hmm. Um and I gotta tell you, I I use that less than because of training with red dots and training with handhelds more. Uh and that rocker switch on the TLR seven A, that little push button is really handy. Uh it also it's so minus the light is so minuscule that like something's going to have to be a shoot problem before it even comes on so you know food for thought i don't have anything against x300s or tlr1s i i think they're a great great asset but uh i just find the use of them being less and less relevant anymore but there's that
1: <laughs> Yeah, and part of it's probably the slide to retirement. I mean, I'm going to grab an X300 Turbo because I want the reach. Yeah. I want to work with the reach on, on that. And because, you know, teaching cops with lights, it's, lights are still a thing in the law enforcement world, and I want to make sure I kind of understand all that stuff.
0: And um, I also grew, have grown an appreciation for, like, the DG switch uh, and things like, you know, external switches Yeah, uh, that don't involve a trigger finger or a support hand having to activate the light. I really... Yeah, the older I get, the more handy those things seem. As as years gone by, I thought I don't know, but uh, and is. for me, I
1: grew up with with that switching. So mm. the Surefire six volt classic, three volt classics came with the wired switch that you velcroed onto your grip panels. Yep, and that was how you activated, it. and then you had the Millennium. Yeah, the military Millennium Light and the civilian Nitrolon counterpart, and they came hardwired with an SL switch, was the horseshoe-shaped one. Mm -hmm. And then we got the X200s, and you could buy the SL switch. And then the X300s came out, and some guys who swam convinced Surefire to make the DG switch for them. And while I prefer the SL switch, because it activates by pressure at 2 and 10 Mm-hmm. As opposed to pressure straight back at twelve, which kind of mimics the trigger press, um, right? I'm not in charge of how Surefire manufactures their switches, so I can only say I would like to see a return to the SL. But realizing the DGs where they're kind of where they're at,
0: yeah. And I'm, I find if I if I'm running a weapon light that on a duty sized pistol with a duty yep. optic and all that, the DG switch has a really good fond place in my heart now um it just makes it a little more accessible and usable so uh, but low light we've we've covered that one pretty good yes
1: we have we Uh, flogged it to death yeah
0: i think that the horse is not going to revive itself (laughs) it's dead so we shall we shall not flog it further uh the second one was adverse weather conditions which was a big hiccup that i had with uh all the open emitter optics, almost all of them across the board. So speak it, to that a bit.
1: And it, it's still, it's still a thing. It's why I prefer the closed emitter specifically, you know, the Aimpoint Acro for law enforcement duty use and the Holosun 509T is, is fitting in there in a lot of places. And Steiner came out with the MPS and I'm sure they didn't feel the closed emitter optic just because they thought it was a good idea. I'm sure they looked at the market and saw what that was driving, at least for folks who were carrying guns exposed. Um, I had a student. A couple of years back in a carbine class, go hasty prone with an open emitter optic. He was shooting carbine, but he went hasty prone with an open emitter optic. And when he stands up, that whole open emitter is full of dirt. Just do me a favor, draw and take a sight picture. And he's like, ah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, So can you have it happen? Yeah. How do we deal with that when I do broken and blocked dot stuff? I break out a little squirt bottle and I'll squirt water into your holster into the open emitter holstered optic. Okay, now draw the gun and shoot. Um, far be it for me to use this phrase because it could be bad, but it may have been referred to as tactical boot <laughs> by some. And if you don't know what that is, do not ask your boss.
0: <laughs> don't Google that. Don't Google that. Uh, nope, nope. <laughs> well, I tell you where where I got a real opposition to it. Uh, I had a friend that was shooting uh, with a a Trigicon on a rifle. Mm-hmm. And if you've ever been in a dusty environment, which I know working in the mountains of gunsight, you've probably never had dust fly up from your, uh, the end of your muzzle ever when you were shooting prone. Now uh, did I see that in some beautiful
1: middle Eastern garden spot that's in the land of two rivers? Yeah. I didn't see it there either.
0: Right. But with an open emitter, I watched a guy one night, he's going prone Uh, It's really dry. He's shooting uh, from kind of a rollover prone, Mm -hmm. and all of a sudden he goes, "Man, my my dot just quit." And he flips his irons up and he goes back to work. And I said, "So what happened?" He goes, "Man, my dot just gave out." And it was a good quality optic. Well, we get to looking, and dirt had obstructed from the the first round he fired. Mm -hmm. uh, Enough dirt and enough wind had had blown back into that optic to where it was actually covering, physically covering the emitter. And I went, "Eh, not for me, pal, not anymore.
1: I have seen one optic and it was from a name brand that they actually got so much water in it standing there on the range in, in the rain that when they drew like oh there's no dot there what do i do there's my irons break the shot even that action couldn't blow out all of the water Mm -hmm. that had accumulated that is not the norm the vast majority of the time is you're going to have some some sprinkling in there you might even have a little bit of pooling but once you bring the gun up parallel to the ground that stuff's going to flow down towards the bottom of it like where the battery cover should be you may or may not be able to, to pick up the dot. You may just have to go off the irons for the first shot, but once the pistol cycles, the vast majority of that blows out. Now we're back to the squirt bottle work on the square range and dealing with that. Um, cause now you've seen it, you understand what it looks like. You know how to solve the problem. That's what your irons are there for. So how do you do with it? You spend time turning the dot off and you work, you work with your irons. Every so often you throw in some inclement weather stuff, but the closed emitter is the better solution for it mm-hmm. if you're, if you're going to carry it open, right? Now, if you're carrying concealed, once you pull that thing out, you're not spending a lot of time with the muzzle down collecting water, right? right. The, the average normal human being, once you pull from concealment, you're either going to a shot or you're going to be in some ready position for not a terribly long period of time. Um, Rain-X, cat crap. I prefer cat crap on my lenses, especially when the weather starts to get a little bit wonky. Um, that deals with the fogging issue. It deals with the water collection issue and everything else. I clean them with a the lens cloth, right? And then put on a little bit of cat crap, work it in with the lens cloth and I'm good until the next time I feel the need to clean them. And that's with an open emitter, correct? That's open or closed. Oh, okay. Do that. I do that with both. I put cat crap on my Acros. I put cat crap on Turgicon, Leupold, Dallosun, I just use it on everything once I clean it.
0: Yeah. I've seen, uh, on the concealed carrier side with, with optics, uh, training a young guy, a couple, this has been about a year ago and he had an open emitter optic, really good quality optic. And, uh, I I said, all right, let's, you know, let's do a little assessment here. And he draws and the first round he fired, I swear deodorant and lint and every it just looked like a shower behind his gun. I said, "Did you? Did you happen to see your dot? Because his first round went wonky." And and he goes, "Nah, man, that it wasn't there." So I switched to iron sights, and it. I just noticed there was something. There was like some fiddling going on on the first shot, and then poof! This big cloud of of uh you know recyclables or whatever went flying into the atmosphere, and then he goes, "Oh, there's my dot." And I said, "Well, how often do you clean that thing? Blow it out?" Oh, I've never done that. Like, well, that might be the reason why. But that even applies to appendix holsters. I actually keep a little bottle of compressed air, and I actually blow those out because they accumulate all manner of crud oh, yeah. uh, when they're under your clothes. So
1: it, it, it doesn't matter if you have a dot or not. I've seen all sorts of crud end up inside trigger guards. Yeah. Right. Just like goo, the, the, the dust bunnies that, and the, you know, like multiply beneath your bed in an army barracks. Right. <laughs> For some bizarre reason, they also will inhabit the area of your trigger guard and the concealed carry holster. Um, OK, I'm not the Yeti, but I'm not exactly, a, you know, a hairless, young, whatever you want to call it. Right. So I got to worry about fur ending up down in there right and there's also going to be the odd occasional skin flake that ends up in there so you blow it out and clean it out like you would anything else yeah
0: deodorant's a big one i used to find that in my service gun under my right arm where you know deodorant just seems to shed itself and yeah. uh you know
1: I, I i don't know how that happened because i've never seen that but i'll take your word for it i just don't know what to envision it
0: yeah just you know when you're running an offset duty rig yeah. you get flakes of Crap from deodorant, and uh, I'm not on natural. I don't wear like I don't go like deodorant free like uh, some celebrities. But whatever, maybe someday, maybe I'll get earthy and start eating granola more or whatever. But uh, anyway, that that was just one of those considerations that I kind of looked at, like you know, it, it should be part of your maintenance program if it's a gun you're gonna use. But all of that to say, inclement weather, adverse weather, the big one I'm curious about, uh, because I've experienced this numerous times with flashlights, is you get in your nice, warm police car and it's, you know, it's 80 degrees in there. Mm-hmm. You're in your sweater, your commando sweater and your jacket and all that. And then you walk outside and it's minus four. What do you do to combat the fogging that is happening to everything up to and including my glasses that I wear?
1: So cat crap is probably the best thing.
0: And you're talking about a product, not it's ac- a product. Not, okay. yeah, do not
1: go to the litter box, right, and grab Fluffy's remains. This comes in a little red red jar that looks like a little snooze container, if you remember back from way back when. Oh yeah, and it's plastic and it's red and it's got a, like the silhouette of I think the Washington State Cougar head on it, and it says cat crap. And it's um, like a blueish gel that you just swipe on the finger, right? And that, you don't soak the thing in it, but just swipe it on, work it in hit it with a hit it with a lens cloth and it gives you that protection okay if it's also happening to your glasses there's only so much you can do mm-hmm. um where i live and work you know predominantly i'm in northern california which isn't not horribly humid and it's not horribly miserable and then most of the time i'm down in the high desert of arizona if i'm teaching so i, I again i don't have humidity to deal with or anything else right now i've spent a couple summers in oklahoma so I, i'm familiar with the concept of major humidity and i spent a winter there too and i've been down to florida so i get it um it's going to be a problem for everybody that's why i understand how to work how to, how to use the gun when you can't see the dots and it, it's not that you're going to point shooting but you're working target folks target-focused shooting with a different aiming reference. So instead of that dot there or the front sight centered in the rear sight, you're going to the Cirillo method, right? You're using the shape of the gun. Well, most of the time I teach shape of the optic, but you can use shape of the gun, right? You're looking working on the outline. If it's that obstructed, work on the outline of the optic. Work on the outline of the slide. Um, Trujicon RMR, I, don't, I have absolutely no reason to think they intended to do this, but the owl ears on top of the RMR, put those on somebody's collarbones, right? Put the ears on the collarbone and you have a perfect sight picture as long as you're not super muzzle high or super muzzle low for hitting, hitting a man-sized target center mass. Um, do I want to deal with a moving, with a moving bad guy with a horrible backstop problem at that point? Probably not. But if I've got to hit somebody and stop them, it's meant in a bad guy's chest.
0: Well, Um, to use the parlance of our mutual friend, Mr. Dobbs, um, fill the screen with a hole and press the trigger uh but
1: that's, <laughs> that's basically what it is it's just that's your reference when i see those owl ears hit the collarbones i know i'm good um shooting the aim point which has kind of sort of a rounded kind of sort of flat top that one doesn't work as well for me i like the slide plate cover yeah when i see the slide plate cover center of what i want to hit right i'm not staring at it but it's in the center of what i want to hit I know that then I can go to work, and as long as I'm not horribly screwing up the trigger press, I'm going to hit. Um, if the dot itself is just down because electronically it failed, right? I can still work the center of the optic, or I can go right to my my backup iron sights. Uh, if I lose windage, and, I, and I've had this happen to me a bunch with different optics over the years, oddly enough, always on an MMP, is that windage starts to blow one way or another. I'm going right to the irons if that I'm seeing that dot, some weird place in the screen where I realize that the pistols pointed some weird angle, I'm going to the irons because vast majority of the time they haven't gone anywhere.
0: Yeah. Which leads us right into our last, uh, operational consideration, which is the dot just ain't working. It ain't there. Yeah.
1: Well, and that's, that's all the stuff we're talking about. So whether it's blocked or broken, that's kind of what drives the class that I'm doing attack on with broken and block optics, which I think every if it's gonna people have signed up for it, they've probably already signed up for it. I'm signed um, up
0: for it, so dance, monkey dance. Thank you.
1: Right? <laughs> uh, I, I think I'm also doing that at the Guardian Conference. Um, but it's it's how do you work with this, right? So we'll work off of the irons. We'll, then we'll work off of the different shapes. Then we'll work off it blocked, and we'll tape both sides of the optic, right, to give you a chance of, okay, what happens if that optic's blocked out front? Right, for whatever reason, a bunch of crud in there. What happens if the back of the optic's blocked? Like I slipped and fell and filled the thing with mud. How do I do it? You're mostly you're working the shape of the optic housing, right? Or the shape of the gun or the slide plate cover. Um, there's one obscure method that the guys from SIG teach that usually like once a class I'll have somebody who think that's the best thing ever, but to me it's weirder than hell. Right? I know how to do it, it just doesn't work for me. Um but that's what you're looking at is having a way or two that if you find either the optic died because the battery just decided to check out at that point, in spite of it supposedly having five years of battery life, it decided it was going to have six weeks, which has happened. Um, or, you know, something inside electronically broke, and, like I had a Steiner MPS last summer that at about right about 400 rounds. It just electronically decided it was done right they replaced it but in the meantime for the, the poor guy who was using it to get ready to go to the police academy where he's going to be carrying a dot he's like what do i do uh we'll take it off and we'll get it fixed i'll slap another one on there when i get it yeah
0: i haven't experienced any failures with the aim point and most other optics uh especially new released optics I, you know i do my best not to drive model a cars or fly in model a planes uh most of the other stuff that's come out that's new and hot, I've I've watched it crash and burn inside of a thousand mm-hmm. rounds, uh, and then the manufacturers, you know, do product improvement on them. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that to discourage people from uh, you know buying certain optics, this or that, or hey, this one just released. Uh, but there's a, there's a better than fifty percent chance that that you may be the test dummy for some period of time. So, uh, but with that being said, I have a buddy that runs two Delta point pros that are both about eight years old and neither one of them have been back to the factory. And they were like the second gen when they, they spooled up the code. Yeah. When they cracked the code anywhere, you know, he runs them with the, the, uh, protective plates over the outside of them and that, but he's never had an issue with those. And I told him to immediately throw them in the garbage or get them bronzed and put them on a, put them on the wall somewhere and then live in the realm of the rest of us that break optics constantly. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding, yeah. Nick. Uh Anyway,
1: but I, I've seen it, you know, for a long time, we were seeing a lot of optics break in the gun sight classes a lot. And I broke 15 Trigicon RMRs. My wow. first stint, as a Red Dog guy, that's what caused me to walk away from them because I, I broke so many of them. Those were the old Gen 1s that were designed to go on rifles, not on pistol slides, right? That was back in 2012. Um, but I've seen most every brand break in some way, shape, or form on the range. I, I will say I haven't seen an Acro break on the range, but I broke an Acro base mm-hmm. demonstrating how to clear stoppages using the optic as the endpoint impact point when you were racking, right? So I, I mean, yes, I managed to screw up the base of an end point acro. I'm sure Enlo loves me for that. Um, <laughs> it, they can all happen. They're all made by man, right? It's like pretty much any named car out there. Somebody's broken one of them. Doesn't mean the car is bad. It just means somebody managed to break it. So you just know what the workaround is.
0: Yeah, and. And it it goes the same with pistols. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you, if you're in the category of a thousand rounds in the ownership of a pistol, you're probably not going to have too many issues. If you're in the category like us, that's a thousand round weekend from time to time, you're going to see all the woes of manufacturing, QCs, and all that. And and yep. sometimes stuff just slips through. Doesn't okay. mean that the product is inherently bad. It just means you got a friday piece or something it's uh and i i've seen custom guns upwards of five thousand dollars just crash and burn within a thousand rounds not because the guy building it wasn't paying attention just something in the heat treat went wrong right and just um and i think it's the same with optics or cars or unfortunately airplanes too but <laughs> we don't talk about that uh
1: I mean, to me, to me, the biggest thing on it is get some exposure and get some exposure to it in training. Work it in practice. Work it in dry practice. The hard thing to do is how do we simulate you having a dot and in the middle of a string of fire, you go from no dot, you go from having a dot to no dot to having to use the irons. I, I there's not a, a remote switch I can flip on my t- pack timer to make that happen. So then it is, I, we kind of have to give you, have you give us the benefit of the doubt, suspend, you know, disbelief for a second and and draw after we told you to turn off the dot, knowing that you're going to draw, there's not going to be a dot there. Okay. What are you going to do? Yeah. But so you at least work it so you understand it. And, you know, where does that come from? Listening to guys like Hearn with the 10 pound brain, who will sit there and tell you that the brain hates novel experiences. It hates novelty. So if you let it see something it's going to be in a better position to deal with that going forward. So you just work that into your training.
0: Go train with it, man. Thanks, Eric. Reminder, check out today's sponsor, Barrel Block, blocksafety.com. As always, the links to the sponsors are in the show notes. You guys know this by now. Just click on the show notes, and it'll take you right to their website. Uh, But I got to tell you, I am pretty – Pretty enthusiastic about barrel block, uh, especially like in the L.E. realm. Get out there. You can train in a classroom and basically render your gun inert. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen to podcasts. I personally listen to them on Apple Podcasts, but uh, Google Play is a good one. Spotify is always in there with, uh, you know, the titan of podcasters, Mr. Rogan. The Off-Duty, On-Duty podcast is a production of Eastridge Training and Consulting, LLC. Thanks, guys. Eastridge Training and Consulting, LLC, presents the following content for educational purposes only. Always take proper precautions. Follow all firearm safety rules. Consult with a competent firearms instructor and have trained medical staff on hand when operating live firearms. Legal content, commentary, or explanations do not constitute legal advice. We are not attorneys and recommend always consulting with competent legal counsel When researching or seeking to understand laws and legal application, Eastridge training and consulting LLC, its participants, partners and affiliates are not
1: liable for any action taken based on the content of this shared podcast.